Hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Chen. Welcome to a new series called The Alphabet Song, where this week and the next few Sundays, Dan and I will be delving into Psalm 119, or you could say Psalm 119. Tomato, tomato, doesn't really matter. The reason why we called Psalm 119 the alphabet song is because, well, <laughs> we stole it. It's a commonly used reference to Psalm 119 because each eight-verse segment is organized according to the Hebrew alphabet in order, i.e. the first letter of the first word of each segment corresponds with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Why would the author of this song do that? Well, one of the reasons to, is to train young people on how to not just talk the talk of being holy and godly, but also walk the talk when it comes to remaining faithful and holy to God. So, because the printing press did not exist back then, the way to teach to, and impress lessons into the hearts of young people is to make these lessons easy to memorize. Do any of you recall the order of operations? Bed mass. How do we know that this author's intent was to teach the younger generation and the generations later? Well, here's a hint. Very early in this psalm, he says this in verse 9. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The author states, how can a young person stay pure? But you might ask, maybe he's asking on his own behalf. That's quite possible. But that doesn't change the reason for writing this psalm. Further evidence is when this author uses a perfect past tense of, I have tried hard to find you. I have hidden your word. Which means that this author quite possibly have already practiced what he's preached experience the fruits and blessings of obeying God's commands, and of course, the banes and consequences of not obeying God's commands. Therefore, he is speaking on experience to the young people. I believe all of us are young. We are all in our own journeys walking with Jesus to be more Christ-like. Therefore, this psalm applies to all of us regardless how old we are, how much Bible we know, and how much life experience we have. We all have something to learn from this psalm. So let's begin. Let's read these two segments to start things off. This passage is in the New Living Translation. Psalm 119, verses 1 to 16. Beginning with the letter Aleph. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Now, one glaring theme in these two eight-verse segments is what? Rules. Rules, laws, commandments, instructions, etc. Let's quickly list them. Verse 1, the psalmist mentions instructions. Verse 2, he mentions laws. Verse 3, he mentions paths. Verse 4, he mentions commandments. Verse 5, he mentions decrees. Verse 6, he mentions commands. Verse 7, regulations. Verse 8, decrees. Verse 9, words. Verse 10, commands. Verse 11, words. Verse 12, decrees. Verse 13, regulations. Verse 14, laws. Verse 15, commandments. And lastly, whew, verse 16, decrees. Wow! You could say that this author really believes that God's commands is his life source, and these commands give him joy, immense joy. Wow, rules that give us joy. How can that be possible, right? We feel, usually we feel, towards rules. Rules constrain us, bind us, burden us from achieving what our hearts desire. We feel confined within these rules and cannot spread our wings and allow passions and desires to be the wind beneath them. I made that up. Pretty good, huh? We look at rules and all we see are a bunch of do nots, do this, do that. It's almost like a nagging tiger mom telling us that we're not hitting the rules and we're not meeting expectations. A wagging crooked finger at us, accusing us of doing wrong and that we are predestined to a life of mundane and boredom. Check out this video and we'll be right back. Okay, okay. Clearly we need to set some rules. Rule number one, you will not touch anything. Uh-huh, what about the floor? Yes, you may touch the floor. What about the air? Yes, you may touch the air. What about this? Ah! Where did you get that? Found it. Okay, rule number two, you will not bother me while I'm working. Rule number three, you will not cry, or whine, or laugh, or giggle, or sneeze, or burp, or fart. So no, no, no annoying sounds, right? Does this count as annoying? Very. Rules. Yet the author of this psalm, and in particular these first two letters, he finds joy, finds blessing, finds immense pleasure in God's commands. Why? What gives him this joy in God's commands? So here's my point that I would like to make today. God's commands, God's word, decrees, precepts, are not the same as what we are accustomed to. God's commands are foundational instructions to enable us have the freedom to launch our fullest God-given potential that he has created us to be. That's the blessing. That's the joy the author is referring to. God's instruction for joy. How do I get to this conclusion? Well, let's begin with the first four verses. Joyful or blessed, if you are using the NIV, are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. 
They do not comprise with, or I'm sorry, they do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. That's found in verses 1 to 4. What's good for me may not be good for you. Nowadays, it's very hard to know what is truly good, i.e. doing something that does not result in a zero sum, i.e. that someone else's pursuits to fullness is compromised by our decisions. We live in an age where we as individuals care only for what is good for ourselves. Take for instance our phones, right here. When we purchase our cell phones, we see this phone as good because it's a utility to help us get things done, to supposedly help us reach our self-defined fullest potential. Yet when we purchase it, we don't realize that the children are being exploited in mines on the other side of the globe to get the minerals to make the screen on this phone. This also applies to our need for discounts and bargains. Some of you may know my story. I came from a world of retail. One of the chapters in my career was in importing. When my client, who is a North American retailer, wants to drop prices because of slowing demand, I need to cut costs. So what do I do? I go overseas, I look for factories that can give me the cost I want, which results in the shuttering of other factories, which results in laying off hundreds of workers. Now to some, like my boss and like the North American retailers, they would say that I'm ingenious. But to others, like the hundreds and hundreds of workers that were laid off, they would call me evil. What may be good for me to supposedly reach my fullest potential, 99% of the time, someone else gets hurt. Whether I, it's personally that I know of, or it's someone around the globe, on the other side of the globe. The author begins these two letter segments with worship, with praise, giving thanks to God that God has given him these commandments and giving thanks that God told him to obey because there is a promise that if he obeys these commands, there will be no evil. There will be no compromise towards evil. That whoever follows his instruction will have integrity, meaning that all of humanity will benefit. Remember, this author, this psalmist is a Jewish author, and he knows that ultimately a world with no evil is a world where all living creatures flourish. All living creatures live to the fullest God-created potential, a shalom. In the English Standard Version, verse 3 reads like this, Who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Walk in God's ways, and there will be no wrong. No wrong equals walk in his ways. No zero sum, no evil, a global flourishing. No wonder the author finds joy. When we follow God's commands, it's not because of blind obligation. It's not because God wants to put his thumb on our head and keep it down. It's because there's a promise that if we do, there will be no evil, no compromise to evil, no hint of evil, no zero sum. Let's move on to verse 5. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. 
Charles Spurgeon said this in his commentary. I quote, This verse is a sigh of regret because the psalmist feels that he has not kept the precepts diligently. It is a cry of weakness, appealing for help to the God who can help. It is a request of perplexity from one who has lost his way and would gladly be directed in it. It is a petition of faith from the one who loves God and trusts in him for grace. We cannot follow God's commands by our own strength. It's already made clear to us through Jesus and his death and resurrection. Some traditions believe that David wrote Psalm 119 in his old age. And if you know David, you would know that he made quite a few mistakes along the way. And he paid the price for it. And not only he paid it, but many innocent lives were lost as well, including some of his sons and Bathsheba's husband. Ashamed of his guilt, who then can get David out of his pit but only God? To get him back on his feet and to get him back on track. To help him realize and experience what will happen when he strays away from God again. And the joy that he experiences when he is in God's presence and following his commands. Notice what the author says after he receives God's grace according to the English Standard Version. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. The psalmist says, I will, and I will. I will praise you with an upright heart. I will learn and keep your statutes. A plea and acknowledgement of God's grace and confessing that he will praise God and give thanks to God with integrity. It's reminiscent of re-establishing the covenant with God, which is really God's commandments. Let's move on. Verse 9. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. The above New Living Translation doesn't quite highlight the point clearly in verses 10 and 11. Here's what the English Standard Version says. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored or treasured up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist brings to our attention about heart. What does he mean when he mentions heart? Is he addressing the organ? the actual physical organ in our body? No, of course not. Is it just the feelings and emotions part of the heart like we are accustomed to now these days? No. He knows that his audience are Jews and are well-versed in the Torah, which is God's commands. And so when he mentions heart, heart serves as a footnote to the greatest commandment that God gave to the Israelites, which is found in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And then we jump over to Deuteronomy eleven thirteen. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Heart, therefore, is our all. Our entire physical, mental, 
soulish being. With our entire being, we seek God, and because we seek God with our entire being, we will not wander from God's commandments. The English Standard Version translated as store, but I think here the NASB, the New American Standard, has it right with treasure, God's commands. Just as Jesus said to treasure is not just put them away in a safe space or a safe place, but to put the commands into action. That's what it means to treasure God's commands. That's how you and I treasure God's commands. And as Charles Spurgeon says, the more we treasure his commands into our entire being, the more we desire God with our entire being. And the more we desire God and treasure his commands with our all, the more we will live to the fullest potential, which is really what Christians call holiness. Which is why the psalmist praises God and finds joy in God's commands. Let me conclude with another video just to close us off today. I'm Doug Vaccaro. You know me as Chip, the wisecracking assistant on the hit sitcom Toolin' Around. <laughs> a man in an apron. <laughs> but today I'm here as a tool of Global Dynamics Corp. You know, installing your own barbecue pit is no harder than adding an aviary or Olympic-sized swimming pool. In fact, it's a snap. Or if you're not into chicken... No, no, I'm into chicken! How about wild boar? Or swordfish? Or hippo? Mmm, hippo. <laughs> Lighthearted apron not included. Snapping fingers may not make food appear. How about it, Bart? Would you like a new backyard barbecue pit? Can I burn evidence in it? We can all burn evidence in it. Hey, that wasn't so hard, was it, honey? Dad, I really need to rest my back. Okay, sweetie. Daddy'll take over. Oh, yeah, that's a fine look at... Oh! Okay, no big deal. Stupid Lisa! She gotta build fast. Cement drawing! Alright, let's see. Oh, English side ruined. Must use French instructions. Le grill? What the hell is that? Oh, give me a good. Come on, fit. You. I mean. Yeah, that's one fine looking barbecue pit. Why doesn't mine look like that? Why don't? Why? Why must life be so hard? Why must I fail in every attempt at masonry? How's your father's project coming along? I think he's almost done. Yeah, he's done. I'm sure many of us had to assemble something, whether it be furniture from Ikea, a barbecue stove, or some fixture for your living room. And I'm sure many of us agree that if we don't follow the instructions or directions given to us by the manufacturer, the end result won't be the result that we were aiming for, just like Homer Simpson with his barbecue pit. But I want to use Homer's example for the sake of this sermon, as I too can relate to assembling a barbecue. I remember when I was assembling my barbecue, I thought I assembled it correctly, even though there were some extra components remaining, left out. I didn't bother looking at the manual as I thought to myself, those components were probably packed into the package by accident since the barbecue that I assembled looks like the one on the picture. Oh, was I wrong. 
When I began using the barbecue, I had many aspirations that I wanted to make. Barbecue pork, barbecue ribs, barbecue chickens, barbecue steaks, duck, etc. So I started cooking, and for some odd reason, no matter how creative I was with the ingredients or with the flavors, my meat, whatever meat I was cooking, would never taste right. It never had the barbecue crispiness or reached the temperature I desired. In other words, I found myself having to recook or cook longer than I needed to, or the flavors was just not satisfying. You know the apron that says the joy of cooking? Well, I was not feeling any joy while barbecuing, though I should be, right? My cooking, my love of barbecue, just didn't take off. I didn't feel free to barbecue. I felt burdened by the constant recooking, shoving it in an oven for Pete's sake, bad food, and always correcting things. Well, after many barbecue failures, I decided to humble myself and look at the manual. And lo, apparently those extra components that I told you about earlier, they were actually critical to it because they were used to adjust the temperature and enables the barbecue to get hotter. In other words, all through that time, my, my barbecue was not reaching its fullest potential. And because it wasn't reaching its fullest potential, no matter how freely or creative I wanted to, wanted to have with my barbecue dishes, or I thought that I had the freedom, the meat just didn't turn out well. I wasn't happy, or joyful, or feeling the freedom in barbecuing. It was like I'm hitting a glass ceiling because I didn't follow instructions. So what does this have to do with what we're talking about today? God really desires us to have a life full of joy and totally absent of evil. He didn't give us rules just because he wanted to keep his finger on us, like squishing us down. His definition of joy is for us to live a life that reaches its fullest potential that he has created us to be. And to tell you the truth, that's holiness. To fully live a life that he has made us to be because it's his purpose. That's joy. How do we go about doing it? He gives us instructions. Instructions not to quash our freedoms, but instructions so that we can assemble ourselves properly, assemble our minds, assemble our hearts, so that we can align ourselves rightly in order to launch ourselves properly so that we can have freedom to create, to imagine, to produce things, to do things that enable both ourselves and all of creation around us to flourish. Experience shalom. Experience holiness. That's joy. God gave us commands because those are the instructions for joy. Amen.